invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. There's a story that, uh, there's a Jewish family that tells actually their story in a book. It's a book uh, called Betrayed. It's the story of the Telkin family. Um, Judy Telkin actually uh, went off to college as a young, faithful Jewish girl and discovered that she believed in the Messiah after all. She fell in love with Jesus. She came home to talk to her family, and she told her parents that she had come to this conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, and that she had become a Christian. True story. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's actually, a, uh, the book is uh, Betrayed by Stan uh, Telkin. Um, and Stan, her father, responded with this news, like you would expect any... Uh, good Jewish father to respond. Uh, he just wasn't particularly happy with her decision. And, and he actually set out on a journey to disprove that Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah. In fact, he and his wife went on separate journeys to, to try and figure out how they could bring their daughter back to where they thought that she ought to be. In fact, he went so far after several months of investigation to go to the National Convocation of Messianic Jews where he thought that he could at least spend some time with other Jewish people who had become Christians to see what there was about them that might cause him to be able to dissuade his daughter. Well, after a number of days at this conference, he actually became more and more intrigued by Jesus. Uh, in fact, he, he became rather confused, basically, and he asked the man that he was rooming with, a fellow by the name of Art, to pray for him. And Art's prayer was very simple. Art asked that God would give him peace and that he would resolve the conflict in, in this man's heart, in Stan's heart, and that he could come to some peaceful solution about Jesus. Well, the next morning, they were sitting at breakfast, at, uh, and some of the men at the table turned to Mr. Telkin to Stan and, and said, you know, would you please pray over our meal? And when he prayed, he, he did, he prayed this uh, prayer, and when he prayed, he concluded his prayer by praying in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. <laughs> Almost as if it was a shock to his own system to hear those words come out of his mouth. But God had in some way answered his prayer, or that prayer, in a way that gave him peace uh, and to come to grips with the fact that Jesus was, who, in fact, who he said he was. And, he rather tentatively then went uh, to a telephone to call his wife Ethel. You can picture it, can't you? That uh, to tell her that he had reached a conclusion that Jesus was in fact the Messiah after all. And he, so he called home uh, to only to have his wife say, Oh, we've just been waiting, we've been praying that you would reach this, this conclusion because all of us now believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the husband, the wife, the, ch the, the two children had all reached the same conclusion that Jesus was in fact who he said he was. Well again, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 and, uh, and here's, um, here's really what I want you to, us to see this morning. Um, kind of a basic outline that I want us to look at but I want to get right to this so that you get it right away. I am absolutely absolutely convinced 
that when people encounter Jesus, without fail, something will happen. I'm convinced, I've not seen it any different, that when people encounter Jesus, something will in fact happen. Uh, it may not be a positive thing. It might not be a positive thing what, that happens, but, but whenever you encounter Jesus, whenever you come into the, into the presence of God, face to face with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, something is going to happen. Interestingly enough, when, you, when we look down through this text in Mark, I think one of the things that you discover right away is that it may not be what you expect. So, for example, in Mark chapter 1 of Mark's, uh, Mark, in chapter one of Mark's Gospel, if you look down here at the, after the calling of these first four disciples, you see that in verses, I believe it's 14 and 15, uh, you look down to verse number 21, and that's where we want to start. It says this, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. See, sometimes I think that when you encounter Jesus that you may get more than you expect. In fact, I suspect that the people going to the synagogue that day didn't expect to see an exorcism right, in, right before their very eyes. <laughs> they went just like you and I would probably go to church on Sunday, just expecting things to be fairly normal. And yet they found in the synagogue this young Jewish rabbi teaching them with authority in a way that, that, that they had uh, uh, never been taught before, not like the scribes had been taught, not like the, the, the teachers of the law, but rather here is one who legitimately seemed to have some kind of word from God. In fact, it says that they were amazed. That is, uh, amazed. It's, it's, it's actually more than one word as you travel and look at it through, throughout uh, the book of Mark. It's almost always translated amazed or, or, or they were astonished or there was this wonder or this marvel. Uh, in, in, that's how it's translated in English. It's, but it's, it's really eight different words that occur in about 25 different places in the, in the book of Mark where people are just, they're just absolutely amazed, they're just astonished, they're just, they just are, you know, awe-dropping, awestruck at what Jesus is able to do and what he's able to say. And Mark uses exorcisms fairly regularly to try to highlight some things. I think that one of the highlights that he has is that God is actually breaking into our world, that there's, there's a power that's that's breaking into our world that, that, that is different than any power that has ever been seen. In fact, when you look at Mark's gospel, almost always what Mark is trying to portray is the way that evil afflicts humanity. 
In fact, how evil tries to destroy humanity simply because they're made in the image of God. You see, when you encounter Jesus, you may not get what you expect. And I suspect that that's true of us. You go to church on a Sunday morning, and you just sort of assume that it's going to be like every other Sunday, and yet when you ex encounter Jesus, some, sometimes you get things that you don't expect. I mean, you're sitting there thinking that you're going to have a nice, normal day, and then, then something from Scripture maybe just begins to speak to your heart, and, and, and you begin to wonder, what, what is that? Is that... Is that a word? Is that, does that have a, a authority? Is that important? Is, you know, should I listen to that? God just has a way of, of entering in. I, I believe that this is a powerful, living, and active book, that he has a way that, of, of just allowing that to speak to us. And, 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 and the question is sometimes whether or not we have blinders or we're, we're, we shut that down or do we listen to that? We open ourselves up to hear what he says. You know, it may be that while you're listening to God's word that that you begin to, to realize that, in fact, there's, there are evils in our world that need to be addressed every bit as much as there were evils in the world that, uh, in, in his world that needed to be addressed. I mean, I think about, and it was mentioned this morning just a couple of weeks ago, that anniversary of, I believe, one of the worst decisions to ever be made on American soil, Roe versus Wade. That decision that legalized abortion in our country. And maybe it's it maybe for us as we're sitting there and we're opening up God's word, maybe it's just a realizing as we encounter that word and, 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 and his love for life. That we as the people of God need to at the very least stand up and, and, and be counted as saying that that is a moral evil in our world. I'm really troubled. And um, by all of this racial talk and this racial tension that exists in America today and, 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 and the way that it's being framed and the way that it's being put forth and, and, and used as a, as, a, as a weapon, there's a weaponization of that, a political uh, weaponization. Of, I, I think about several years ago, and maybe some of you know about this, maybe we're involved in this, but a number of years ago, uh, there was a movement, a men's movement called Promise Keepers. Anybody ever uh, involved in that of our men? Um, one of the best things that I think the Promise Keepers did was when they had representatives of the white church stand in front of literally thousands of people and, be, and, and apologize on behalf of, of Christians for the way that we have behaved racially in our country. And it's just an amazing moment where black and white Christians came together in that context with this understanding that, that even if racial barriers cannot be broken down any place else, that, there can, that they can be broken down at the foot of the cross where the same blood covers us all. But you see, it, it, it may be that you'll, you'll go to church and you'll get more than you'll expect when you encounter Jesus. I hope we're opening, open at all times to encounter, to meet Jesus and to, to encounter, to have that encounter every single week. But it's not just that you'll, it's not just that you, you'll get more than you expect. It, it, it's, you may also get what you need. 
If you look just a little bit further in this text, you look down here at verse number 29, and it says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. <laughs> it seems like such a coincidence, doesn't it? They happen to need some place to go at the end of the day. home, so they go to Peter's house. He lives in Capernaum, and so there they are. It's Peter. It's, uh, um, it's at his home. There's James, and there's John, and there's Peter. There's Andrew. There's Jesus, maybe a few more. And they walk into the house, and lo and behold, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And see, Jesus goes over to her bedside, and he leans over, and he takes her by the hand, he raises her up, and immediately she's well, and that fever has left her. It's what she needed. She needed someone to come along and to bring her healing, and well, she got exactly what she needed, even though it seemed rather a rather unexpected sort of thing. In Mark's Gospel, there are nine healings. And in every case, it seems that Jesus chooses to heal so that he can open a door for God's presence. So that he can make it possible for a person to, to come into someone's life and to give them what they generally, genuinely do need, which is, which is him. Now, he doesn't always heal physically. That may not be what you need. But what amazes me is that when you're in the right place at the right time, it just seems that God just has this opportunity to act. And we talk about this uh, being a, a coincidence. I mean, he just happened to show up at, at Peter's house on that day that, that Peter's mother-in-law was ill. And, but if you're like me, you, you, you probably are convinced that most things don't just happen by accident, that you're not just in the right place at the right time, but that somehow God has, has brought you to that place. I, I trust that you've experienced, as I have, uh, where, where God has, has an opportunity to meet you where, where you are and to give you what is that, it is that, that, that you need in your life at that moment. And that anybody in the outside world you know, may, may look at that and say, well, I, that's just a coincidence. But if you believe what I believe, you don't believe that. You believe that God has acted in some way to meet your need. Well, you may get more than you expect. You may get what you need. You may even get what you want. If you look down a little bit further at verse 40, it says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just hold on for a minute there. This next phrase, I want you to zero in on it. 
is really interesting because at the beginning of, of verse number uh, 41, it says that filled with compassion that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, there are older manuscripts that, that don't use the word compassion here. Actually, they use the word anger, that Jesus was filled with anger. Now, there, there's some debate among scholars about which is the better of the two translations. But, but doesn't it strike you as interesting that, that when Jesus sees humanity afflicted, when Jesus sees ha humanity less than at its best, that it, that it angers him and, it, and he acts because he wants people to be whole. I mean, we all understand a leper's life, right? In ancient Israel, where you had to walk around with something over your mouth because it was believed that the very breath that you breathe was contagious. And we recognize, of course, you, you recognize that, that a leper if he saw somebody within 200 feet of him, had to cry out, leper, unclean. I mean, can you imagine a life like that? And can you imagine a man like Jesus who so longs for, for, for man to live at his best, to be angered by injustice that comes simply because of something that you have no control over? Well, maybe it's because he was angry. But maybe it's because he had such compassion that Jesus reached out and touched this man. I, 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 I am amazed by that whole image of touching him. That would have made him unclean. It says that he, he reaches out and he touched this man. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And he immediately, it says, the, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Verse 43, Jesus went, uh, sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. They, they went and, and, and they asked, you know, can, can, can you help me? And Jesus gave them what, they, what he asked for. He simply gave them what he wanted, which was, which was to be healed. And for a rabbi, that, that was a tough act. Because of, according to rabbinic rules, it was harder to heal a leper than it was to raise the dead. And so you and I, we read this healing as pretty normal for Jesus. But if it was the first time that you'd ever seen a leper made clean again right in front of your eyes, you'd probably be standing there with just absolute amazement and you know about how that would work. I mean, who is this person who, who does these things? so beyond our imagination, able to give us those things that, that we want, this incredible act of God. I think part of the frustration of this text here is that this man failed to obey. Did you notice that? 
Do you notice what Jesus says here? He says, go and don't tell anybody. I, I, I really think it's a simple principle. Jesus is trying to slow down some of the activity so that he has an opportunity to develop his disciples and to deal with people. And then there's this crowd that just keeps crushing, you know, moving in and just developing and bigger and bigger, that, and it just keeps him from coming. And, and that, or they keep coming that, that, that Jesus can't heal anybody else. And, and so he has to live out in those solitary places. And while the momentum dies down just a little bit, uh, it, it's just, in my mind, it's, it's why obedience is so incredibly important. Because let's face it, sometimes we have good intentions. I think there are times when we might have some good intentions. We, we think we're doing what's and right, but instead we may end up actually doing harm because we haven't obeyed the voice of the Master. When you do what you think is right instead of what He said. And in this simple case, this man's disobedience made it impossible for other people to have access to Jesus because he had to go to solitary places to avoid the, the crowds, the coming of the crowds. And I just keep thinking, you know, when, when, when we, we think, you know, we listen so carefully to Scripture and we pray. And God gives us what we want. It's just unmistakable that God has responded to what we've prayed for and asked for. But I, I, I point this back on myself I, I, and ask myself, how do I usually respond? Is it with obedience? Is it with gratitude? Or do we take those things for granted where we're no longer obedient to what he's asked us to be? Well, if you come to chapter 2, you hear this famous story of the paralytic. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that his, this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. <laughs> it may be that you're going to get more than you bartered for when you encounter Jesus. See, they went, I'm sure, to hear the teacher. In fact, I, I, I'm going to give you the, the, the benefit of doubt to these scribes here who 
when to listen to him because later in Mark's gospel, they, they, they actually become kind of contentious. And, and the only reason that they're, they're there is to find something wrong with, with what Jesus says. And I'm not really sure that that's true here, but certainly that's what it quickly becomes. The only reason why they listen to Jesus is to find something to, uh, to complain about and to catch him in a trap. And here they are, and all of a sudden this incredible act of compassion occurs around, uh, um, uh, around them, and, and some friends are bringing somebody to be healed. They actually cut a hole in the roof. That certainly wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been difficult in those days to move the mud and the thatch away. And they drop this man down on a mat, and Jesus wants to know which is harder for me to, to get him up and get him walking or to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, obviously, it's, sin, it, it's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no way to prove that. Anybody can announce that your sins are forgiven, and nobody would know whether or not it's true or not. But if he says, get up and walk, and the guy gets up and he walks, now that's something. And so he says, son, your sins are forgiven, and now get up and walk. And he did. He picked up his mat. He walked out uh, of the crowd, and everybody is sitting there with their eyes wide open and saying, what in the world has just happened? It is what happens, you know, when you encounter Jesus. You get more than you bargained for. You come thinking that you're going to get one thing from Jesus, and the next thing you know, he's acted in your life in such a way that he's making demands upon you that you're just not sure that you're ready to respond to that. It is interesting that in spite, it is interesting that in these simple acts of compassion that the word of God, it just, it just gets opened up, isn't it? I mean, this simple act of bringing a hurting friend to the foot of Jesus opens the eyes of an entire crowd. I think that that's why it is so incredibly important for the church to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community so that the, our community is able to see so that a door is opened up for the gospel. Well, let me end the way that I began. I am absolutely convinced that when people encounter Jesus, without fail, something happens. Something will happen. And there will be some kind of a response. <laughs> the crowd spreads the news. Uh, they marveled. I mean, don't be mistaken, though. Simply marveling is not the same as having faith. Peter's mother-in-law did what I think is probably one of the most appropriate responses ever in, in, in the Gospels. She received something from Jesus, and she turned around and she began to serve him. I wonder if that isn't a model for, of what's going to happen later in the life of the disciples. The leper, in spite of God's gracious act, responded with disobedience. The scribes were going to we're going to discover this within a few verses, turned in opposition and later began to reject him in spite of the fact that they'd seen this man healed. The crowd, 
the crowd had responded with praise, amazement and praise. And I wonder what will your response will be. I wonder what my response will be as we journey through Mark's gospel here and encounter this one who is, is God's greatest sense of revelation. What kind of response will you give? Will it be wonder? Awestruck? Will it be a disobedience? Or opposition? Or will it be praise when you, you simply turn to him and, and, and voice in the context of, of worship your, your absolute adoration of the one who has come to bring you life? One thing I'm confident of is this, that if you encounter Jesus, something will happen. What that something happens to be depends upon your heart and upon my heart. It depends on whether or not our hearts are open to him or not. Would you pray with me? Father, open our hearts and our eyes that we might see Jesus. Open, us up, open up our hearts and our eyes that we might be filled with, with all of the wonder and the amazement, but just not just leaving it there. That's not anything if it's not filled with faith. And I pray, God, that you would just increase our faith to see you as you are. Help us to grow closer to you, to respond to you, be amazed by you, to be open to your leading in our lives. And Father, if there's areas that we need to confess to you and to bring before you, help us to do that, to be strong enough to be able to do that, or to find someone that we can, we can talk to to be able to, to do that, so that we can stand in front of you as people of God who love their Savior and want to be all that they can be for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, stand.